Well, good morning. Continuing on in our study of the book of Colossians, and we have subtitled this this summer, <clears throat> Proclaiming the Supremacy of Christ. And I trust that this is something where you will, you will have begun to see and continue to see how um, Christ is just held up as the, the supreme one in this book. And then we, so we've looked at the last couple of weeks, get to try to understand more of how that affects and impacts our daily lives. So today, uh, I'm calling this part three of uh, what I'm calling the gaze of the soul, as we begin to look at how we gaze into the face of Christ and what does that mean for us. Um, we're going to look at today, kind of the third part of that, of um, the put-ons, as Parker mentioned. We'll talk about that. So from the last two weeks in verses uh, 1 through 11, I just wanted to hit on a couple of the points that we, that we looked at. So first, we want to remember that, that we are living right now, currently we're living a new life in Christ. And this is a life where we've been buried with him, raised with him, and our lives are now hidden with him. So we won't go back through all of those things, but they all have meaning to those. And in some mysterious way, we've been buried and raised, and our lives are hidden with Christ. And so in that, we are encouraged in, in the first part of Colossians 3, by faith, to set our gaze on Christ. We want to keep our focus, our gaze being our primary drive, our focus on Christ as he is seated at the right hand of God. He's seated there in a position of power and authority as he's accomplished the mission that, that he came uh, to, to uh, take on. And he, he did that, he's finished that, he's seated with God now, and we have the opportunity now to focus our gaze on that, and we want to understand what that means. So one of the things I, I hope you started to see is that as, as we are in this state, we're not just in a suspended state of animation and just say, just stay here now and then I'll come back for you later. But, but God is up to something. Through Christ, we are being transformed. We are being changed into the image, as Parker talked about so beautifully at the beginning of the service here, that we are to be about something here, not just sitting and kind of waiting it out, but to be transformed into the image of Christ. So we were told and looked at last week that, that we should put off certain things. And my hope would be that as we talked about that last week, it wouldn't just be seen as a list of, these are the, this is the naughty list and don't do these things because these are not what good Christians do. But no, these our desire should be that we want to put off these things. We looked at them last week as, as, as they can be idols. These are idols and anything that takes our focus and our gaze off of Christ. Serving actually is what I, I call functional gods, that in that moment we are looking to something other than God. And we should look at those as, as distractions and that as we get our focus off of Christ, we should see that that's something we don't want to do, that's non-desirable, and we want to refocus on Christ. So we looked at all these things, and we'll just review those in, in a minute about the things to put off. But as we, we look at uh, today, we're going to be looking at the, the next part of chapter 3, which is the put-ons. Okay, it's like a, 
metaphor of clothing. We've taken off things, but then we're encouraged to put on something new, and we'll be looking at that. So, as he uh, begin, Paul begins to talk about these put-ons, he sets it up in, uh, in chapter uh, 3 earlier in the put-off section. He actually starts a transition here by once again reminding us that we are to put on the new self, and he reminds us, which is being renewed in the image of our creator. So it's like he keeps coming back to that. He just doesn't want us to forget that there's a purpose for this, is that we are being renewed. And this is a, a place where, again, he, the, the Christ is the central focus of the book of Colossians. He reminds us again in, the, in these, the latter part of uh, verses 11 here, that Christ is all and in all. So there's this Christ focus throughout the book of Colossians, and we want to keep that in mind, that we are being transformed into the image of Christ into this uh, magnificent state that Parker talked about also. So, it then, as we come to verse 12 now, <clears throat> today, he, he starts that again with a therefore, or depending on your translation, it, it has some uh, version of this, which is basically, with these things being true, therefore. Right? Like I said last time, whenever there's a therefore or a wherefore, we want to know why it's put in therefore. So, this is something we're saying, because of these things, we are to put on certain things in our lives. So, we're going to be studying that in just a minute here. But I wanted to just make sure we understand the context of all this. There's kind of three threads that I have been trying to weave here, and I just want to review those so that you have that in your mind about uh, where where we're headed in this section of chapter 3. So, the first week we talked about this gaze of the soul, that this is this, this fundamental orientation of our hearts toward Christ, and we want that to be a fundamental driver for us. But like I said earlier, this is something where we're not static, but there's a transformation that's going on. And you notice I I put here the transforming life. I didn't say the transformed life because that gives some sort of sense that, that, oh, there's this this flash, it's done, and then all of a sudden everything is, is just perfect. But no, we are being transformed. There are many places in Scripture, in Second Peter and Second Corinthians 3, that talk about us being transformed. And it's a continual process of, of Christ working out, changing us from um, the old person to the new person. So there's this mystery in something that's already and not yet is, is a kind of a, a motif that Paul often uses, something that we have confidence has already been accomplished, and yet it's not fully accomplished. So this transformation is going on. But today, the third thread that I want to weave into this, and I'm so glad how Parker introduced this, is uh, just the fact that the, there is a, there's a corporate element to this transformation that's going on. I think this is particularly valuable for us as believers in, in this uh, society that we live in, tends to be so individually focused. I think it's almost hard for us to think outside of that context as the rugged individualist. It's just so baked into our American culture that it's hard for us to think otherwise. So I ask you to try to focus your mind as we look at this today to think about, okay, what does this mean? As we're looking at this transformation and our our personal focus on Christ, what does that mean in the, in the context of a body of believers like we represent here this morning? 
So that's the third thread that I want to look at today. So let's jump right in. Let's look at our passage here. We're going to read through this, and then we're going to back up a little bit, and I, and I want to have a way I'm hoping to uh, illustrate this, um, what I was just talking about. So let's read, if you have your Bible, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It's up on the screen if, if you want to uh, read it there. But let me read through Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, <clears throat> singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, what a rich passage, and, and even somewhat in contrast to last week talking about the put-offs, which is easy to fall into this list of the, the kind of a, a list of things, oh, let's make sure we don't do these, and in some measure, okay, we won't do that, but, but this is such a rich passage of, of not just sort of negatives, but actually Paul in a very positive way encouraging us where we should go. So this is what I'd like to do. We're going to go through this again, through the, the same verses, but we're going to have a, a uh, look at a way with kind of a, I'm calling a virtual highlighter here to look at three different kind of elements of these verses. So here's what they are. I'll put them up here. Is that there are certain things in this that are what are called imperatives, where, where Paul is saying something to us that in some way we're being told to, encouraged to, to do something. There's an active element on our part. So we're going to shorthand that and say, that's an imperative. So those we'll see in a minute. I'm going to highlight those in, in that color. Secondly, there are certain characteristics that he's highlighting in this that we want to, to capture to say, okay, it's, it's not just, uh, you know, go, you do you, but it's, no, these are the things that you're, you're called to. These are the characteristics of the Christian life that we want to uh, emulate. But this third thread that I talked about, I want you to look for today, is going to be highlighted in blue here on things that give you some hint, some reference. That this is not just an individualistic, uh, self-help kind of an exercise. This is a community. This is a community of believers that in some mysterious ways we have been called together and to live lives in a way that we have an impact on each other's lives. So I'm going to highlight those in kind of a blue. So here we go. Just see if you can uh, follow along. I trust the technology won't fail here. But starting with this. So he just starts out with put on then. It's an imperative. He's telling us to put on something. So in a way, again, we're, we're invited to talk about participating in this. It doesn't say that he just does this, but there's this mystery in that he has saved us but he is transforming us, and we're invited then. He tells us to put on then certain things. So what does he tell us? Well, first, this may be a little hidden here, but I highlighted in blue here. 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. There's a little bit of a code in there. That's a, it's a phraseology that is often used uh, in the Old Testament referring to, to God's people. So just to remember that when he says that, a cho- chosen ones, holy and beloved, there's a lot of history to that, but we are, as a body of believers, being called that. He didn't just say as, as a, a bunch of individual uh, well-meaning people, but no, as a body. So what does he call us to put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So he lists some characteristics there that if you think about those, and we're going to see in contrast in just a minute, a lot of these do have somewhat of a personal nature to it. You can say that person is humble or they are are meek. But Paul doesn't leave it right there, and that's the part I want you to pick up on today. What he's, what he's telling us then is that these will demonstrate themselves in a way that it can only be shown when you are living in a, in a context of a life with fellow believers. So what do those look like? Well, first off, he starts with bearing with, another imperative. He's telling us to bear with who? One another. So us, with the assumption that we are together, but he's telling us to bear with one another if one has a complaint against another. He then adds to that forgiving. And who do, who do you, you know, this is um, something, again, I think it's so built into our culture. S- songs, I hear some, sometimes Christian songs on, on the uh, radio that will even talk about, um, I just can't forgive myself. It's, it's so self-focused that we're talking about forgiving ourselves. And it can even sound spiritual and humble. But if you think about that really only makes sense in the context of who, who's the offended party. Primarily, it's God who's been offended, and he's the one to forgive. But in this context, maybe with a small f, forgiving, he's telling us that as we live out a body in a body of believers, we are to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So there's also an assumption there that And I think we all know that as we live uh, with each other, around each other, work together, things will come up, things will will happen, and we are commanded to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. And you you have to just ponder that for just a moment. And I I think sometimes uh, I I found an audio version of the sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and went for a walk and listened to that. And it just about brings you to your knees thinking what we are. And, and think about with that, that backdrop, that context, what God has forgiven us of. And then we think about this. What are we being uh, implored to do here is to forgive each other to the same degree that, that Christ has forgiven us. He says, so you also must forgive. And he says, and, but above all these things, put on love. He's telling us we need to put on love. It's like a, an outer garment that kind of wraps around everything else, and it ties it together. And we want to really understand, like he says here, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. So it's a mystery, and we want to say, well, okay, what does that mean? What does that love look like? We're going to see that, again, it's not just a... Uh, kind of a vague, ethereal word, but it has some very practical implications on how we should live our lives. 
So then he goes on, says, and let the, so it's another imperative encouraging us, so let this happen, let this be, see this work out, and what should we let happen here? The peace of Christ ruling in your heart. So another characteristic that we want to see, the peace that Christ has brought through the reconciliation of his work, ruling in our hearts, not all the other things that want to hijack and take control of our hearts, but the peace of Christ. And then, to, again, just to highlight that, he says, to which indeed you were called in one body. So we're called as one body in all the mysterious ways, uh, as Parker mentioned about the different analogies of the bread and about the human body and how it all ties together. We are encouraged to let all these things happen in, in this way that, uh, as we're called together in one body. And then I love this. One of the, if you want to memorize one one verse is uh, Colossians 3.15b. I just, this is one to hang on to, right? Which is, and be thankful. So we talked about last week, thankfulness can be such a powerful uh, tool even for checking ourselves as we find ourselves uh, wanting to complain and be uh, un, unhappy or to be bitter about things, to be thankful. And he encourages us just in such a way to, as he wraps up even this, these verses, and be thankful. All right, so let's finish the rest of uh, up to verse 17 with the same highlighting. Trust my highlighter is working for you there. He starts out again, let the, so what, what do we want to now let happen, participate in? We want another characteristic, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And that just that little phrase holds so much to it as we as we read about Christ being the Word and what what does that mean? There's so much there we don't have time to go into, but he's telling us that that should be something that should dwell in us richly. But what's the context for this again? He says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So these are all elements of a, of a body of believers living together, that, that there's teaching and there's admonishing, and we're going to look at what those mean. But those are, uh, are just a couple of examples. If you look at the New Testament, they're something that uh, has been characterized as the one another's. There are many passages in the New Testament that talk about one another and the things that we are t uh, encouraged to do with one another. And it's a long list, and again, we won't go through that today, but here's just a, even a couple about teaching and admonishing and singing uh, songs with one another. And then just in case we have forgotten uh, or tend to lose track and with thankfulness in your hearts to God, that there should be this characteristic of thankfulness, that that should be a, uh, just a, a focus that we have that we keep coming back to. And then he says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, once again, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So another closes this out with a set of imperatives that just about uh, the totality of our life. Whatever you do in word or deed, which it has some meanings of just encompassing basically everything that we do, it should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's not just some sort of a tagline we, we tack on to the... Just, you know, something we do, uh, some sort of thing by rote, but really with, a, with an attitude of, of thankfulness, an attitude of knowing that we're doing this with this gaze on Christ that should be, become 
is and should be becoming more and more important to us, where the other things just don't matter. They just don't have the importance that we once thought they did. So life and community, what does that really really look like? And, and boy, there is so much to that, but just in case we, we can um, not, not grasp that, I wanted to try to punctuate that with a quote here that comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his, uh, his famous book, Life Together. And uh, I encourage you to read that sometime if you really want to be challenged somewhat on this. But he had this quote that I thought was a, really a good way that maybe highlights the, the way that uh, in different ways we, we might lose track of what it really means to live together as believers. <clears throat> so he said this. He says, Let him who cannot be alone be a, be a, beware of community. Hmm, I wouldn't have expected that. Let who, him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Pretty challenging there on, on a lot of fronts. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and if you know something about his life, uh, this is more than just something theoretical for him in that living in a very tortured time where he ultimately was hanged for his, the stance he took uh, at the end of the, the Second World War there. So I just wanted to, to put that up there just as an encouragement to say that, again, it's so easy for us to be independent and, and think of ourselves as just Lone Ranger Christians, but no, we need each other in, in ways that we don't even begin to know or understand. We are encouraged, and just as we just read there in Colossians 3, we are to be living this life out in this community of believers. Okay, so where, what does this mean? What does it mean in practice? And I'm going to cycle back to a quote that I put up the first week that talks about this transformation. Because again, I want you to really think about the fact that this is an already, a lot, something has happened. If you're a believer, there is something that is fundamentally changed in you. You may hear this, and if you're not a believer, you may say, that really sounds good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down some new resolutions, and I'm going to make this happen. And we just saw that at the end of chapter 2, Paul talked about that any kind of legalism or self-asceticism, he says they're just of no use in restraining the indulgences of the flesh. So we have to have something more. And, and this was put so well that I, I know it's a little long and probably a little small. I hope you can read it. But if not, you'll be able to, to get the slide. But I encourage you to read it. And I've highlighted a couple of points here that I, I want us to focus on again. But Doug Moo, in his commentary on Colossians, he says, We have died to the elements of the world and to the power of sin. Because of our union with Christ, we are to become dead to sin in the realities of everyday life. Again, not just hypothetical, not theoretical, but in the realities of everyday life. <clears throat> but this putting to death of sin is not only demanded by our incorporation into Christ. He could have stopped right there and just said, this is the standard. If you don't make it, then tough luck. What he says is, 
It is also empowered and affected by it. So the very thing that's being demanded of us is only possible, it's only affected by our union with Christ. Union with Christ because it puts us in a new relationship to sin and brings us into the sphere of the Spirit's power will impact the way we live. Ultimately, then, the imperative put to death in this verse must be viewed as a call to respond to and cooperate with the transformative power that is already operative within you. Just fascinating. There's so much in that, that there is, there is a power of the Holy Spirit working in us that is transforming us, and we are, I don't know if you want to say invited to, allowed to, able to, cooperate with that transformative power. So as we look at these put-ons and there's these, these uh, imperatives to let, uh, it sounds so simple, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, these are actually invitations for us to participate in this transformation that Christ is working out in our lives. So I talked about this uh, thinking at the very beginning that if this is seen then as a transformation, this is a journey. This is something where, and, and we're all in different point, different spots, different points in our lives, and that's the encouraging thing. There's nothing that says you're not a Christian until you're here, but once you have committed your life to Christ and you are a new creature, then you are on this transformative journey. And so what we, you want to know in any kind of a long journey is what? Am I going the right direction? And am I making any progress? Right? You want to drive to Boston, uh, which I've done once with my son Curtis. And I'll tell you, you want to see some signposts because there's a lot of miles between here and there. And you'd kind of like to know that you're heading the right direction. So I encourage you to think about how would you know? Uh, do we just bumble along year after year? Or is there a way we can stop and look back and maybe even consider and say, thank you, Lord. I see transformation in my life. So we want to look at, are we seeing signposts? Are there things in our lives where we can, can give credit to God that he is working these things? It's not just us by our uh, ascetic lifestyle that we have uh, accomplished this, but, but he is truly transforming us. So I want to, this is going to be a bit of a complicated slide here, but I'm trying to capture a lot of information from the last two weeks in one slide, okay? So, so bear with me. And um, this is, so from last week, we talked about the put-offs. So these are some, some things, some characteristics that we looked at last week about things that we're to put off. So I won't, we're not going to talk in detail about these, but we looked at them in more detail last week. But sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Spent some time talking about how greed can be seen as, a, as idolatry last week. But if you think about these, again, some, these can be seen as sort of internal. That, that you can say, okay, individually, these are things I, I'm I am being told to start to put these away. Now, again, the motivations that we talked about, the hope would be not just that, okay, here's the list. i got to check it off, make sure I don't do that. You know, oh, good, I made four out of five today. Um, but no, it's, it's more of these should be indicators that as we have our gaze and our focus on Christ, these would be things that would become just, they're not interesting to, they're not, we don't want, these are distractions to us. 
This would take our gaze, our focus off of Christ, and we want to put those off. But these have a bit of an individual nature to them, okay? So down below this, I'm going to, um, in the, in the, following on in that passage last week, then he tells us that these are, one way to look at this is the, the things that we are to put off will show in some ways in a corporate sense. That as we live out our lives with other people, these are things that can come out. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. So these are often the things that, this is the evidence of the things that we're to put off. That in a community, those are the things that can happen. It's, it's the rage, uh, the malice, the slander. There's all these things that happen in a, in a body. Um, and, and just as, as human beings, these tend to come out. And we're, we're told by our Lord that it's not what goes into us, it's what comes out. And it's what comes out of our heart that produces these things. So we're told to put those off. Okay, now on the other side of the slide, what I want to do is look at today's passage in the same co- uh, construct here of the put-ons. So if we think about some of the, so individually, what are we to put on? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Patience. So these are things we want to see that as we're starting to put off things, we want to put on something else. We want to start clothing ourselves in these things. You might recognize this. Uh, this is not a lone passage in the New Testament. Um, the fruit of the Spirit in, in Galatians 5 talks about, about uh, many of these things. But again, this third thread I'm wanting to weave today says, that's not just saying we've got a bunch of glorified individual orbs sitting out here. But no, we're in a body. We're in a collective, in a community. And that's going to show itself in certain ways. So what is that going to look like as we come together, putting on these things more and more? Well, what should we see? Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. Love. Teaching. Admonishing. Thankfulness. So that's quite a, quite a list, and, and I hope you see it's quite a contrast there between those. And as far as, as signposts, this is what I encourage you to do. Take some time and think about some of these things. So if we look on the left side, what we want to see is that those things are decreasing in our life. That's what we would hope, is that, that, that things that maybe seem to just dominate and rule our life it's not that maybe they're just instantly gone, but you, there should be a diminishing aspect to that in our lives. So if it's struggles with greed or evil desires, that as the Lord continues to work in our lives, we see those less and less as, as the, the arrow there shows. They should be just decreasing. And, and you want to look at, is it, you know, the... It's ongoing, it's lifelong, so it's not saying that all of a sudden you're going to reach some state and it's all done until that day when we're with Christ, when we see him as he is. But we want to see that there's, we should desire to see progress, that it's either not the same things. Is it the same thing that's just tripping you up time and time and time again? Or to the same degree even, right? There, if an anger issue or something, you would, you would love to see the Lord we should desire to see the Lord in each of our lives, uh, changing that to, to where we don't have that same kind of reaction. 
So then on the, on the put on side, what we want to look at those things and see them as things that should be increasing. Do we find ourselves more likely to respond in a way that's loving or we see thankfulness uh, as we uh, interact with each other and see people reach out and help each other that we, we demonstrate that. But take some time and think about these. Uh, even things like uh, on the, the put-ons there about teaching or admonishing. Think about in your life, where, where could I see that? Where do I see that? Are there areas where there's some element of that happening? There's a, a teaching going on. And that these are all one of the things you see in this li- these one another list that I talked about a little bit ago is the fact that these are, there's a mutuality to it and there's a reciprocal nature to it. It doesn't just say that Mark and Parker get to teach and admonish everyone, but we're all fellow believers. And so it's not a hierarchical thing, but it's something that mutually, together, we should be doing this constantly, teaching and admonishing. But I'll tell you, this can really, really be a challenge. If you think, just take the one about admonishing. You know, what does that, what does that look like? I, I just had a real vivid example this week. I was actually at the end of the day, I was out, out front and I, I wandered down the side of the building over here and there were some, some kids, I've seen them around, they're neighborhood kids and they ride, ride bikes around and such and, you know, we've, we say hi and stuff, but they were down here and they were climbing on the outside of this, this fence that we have that protects that retaining wall so it's like 13 feet down to the concrete down below and they were playing just playing on the other side and I said, oh I said hey kids come back over here I don't want you on that side of the of the fence there it's dangerous so the first reaction I got when I looked at me said do you work here I said well yeah I, I do I guess <laughs> I so yeah please come back over it I said it's just not safe to be back there he said, oh, we do this all the time. I said, well, maybe, so, but I don't want you back there. I said, so please, come back over, because if you can't, I'm going to have to ask you to leave, because it's just not safe for you to be there. But it was so sad to me, because, I mean, it wasn't even a, a harsh encounter, but the, I felt like the look that I got was one of just this indignation. That, who, how dare you challenge me, you know? I mean, and really, in my heart, I just didn't want to see him fall down 13 feet and land on this concrete. And so how often do I do that with the Lord where he's trying to save me from something? And I and he so I get prodded and maybe it's from a fellow believer. And what is my reaction? Is it that same thing? Is it indignation or how dare you? You've trampled on on my rights or something, right? It's we don't want to see that. So so first off. Do you have relationships and situations with fellow believers where that can even happen? It can be so easy to live so independent and so isolated that that never happens. And if it does happen, what's your reaction? And a, a challenge, I know this is a challenge to me too. What is my reaction when someone points out something that I have a, a flaw and I have a weakness, I have a blind spot that I'm not seeing? How do I react to that? And is it that, that hair rising on the back of my neck? Or is it, thank you, brother. Thank you. So each one of these can have an, a deep element to this here, where we are encouraged to put on these things. And this will live out its, uh, in, in this way where um, 
it'll be a corporate way that we see this playing out. And just that's the encouragement today to, uh, to, to see progress and to have hope and encouragement that the, that the Lord is leading and, and transforming us. All right, so let's wrap this up here. So in conclusion, we're, we, we're in this process of living out this new life. And it's a life of transformation and renewal. There's, there's good things going on. We should be encouraged about that, that we aren't just left uh, on our own. And so one way that this is, has been put is this, that in the, in the put-off category, let the old man who has died with Christ be dead. Just let him be dead. Don't keep digging him up. So there are ways that we can feed that and and. Don't know if it's just by habit or intention or what, but we can be encouraged in this put-off sense to just let the old man die and be dead. But then in today's, in the put-on sense, there's another beautiful thing we can think. We can become, we want to become who we are, who we already are. I mean, that sounds weird, right? It sounds like a mystery. But we want to become something that we are told we already are in Christ, not of our own goodness, not of our own accomplishment, but we want to become who we are. I started out and, and took this, uh, the theme for this, this gaze of the soul from this book I mentioned by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. But he had a statement in there that would be my, my hope and my, my encouragement to all of us as we think about this transformation. But... He, he put it this way, and I just clipped this out of a bigger section, but, but he said that we should see a habit of soul is forming, which will become after a while a sort of spiritual reflex. You think about this. This is what our desire should be, that as we are in this, this, this transitional phase and God is, is changing us, we would like to see something that our... Our lives are driven by this reflex of this turn toward God. An analogy I thought of is, is um, think of the difference between driving on, on a freeway in the middle of a snowstorm, icy roads, everybody's been there, and there's just this sense of white-knuckled grip, and you're just hoping that you can keep it on the road, and there's, it's slipping and sliding, and, and it's, it can be a terrifying thing. I'm sure everybody's had that experience. And it really sticks in your mind when that happens. But compare that to some modern car on a modern freeway with lane keep assist and cruise control. And there's, it's stable and, it's, and, you're, and you're, you're going. So we would like, uh, my prayer or our desire would be that that becomes more and more the way our lives are lived. That as we get perturbed, as things happen, because... We're not told that we're going to live a life that's free of trial or temptation or trouble. But that as these things come, just naturally, reflexively, we return to our gaze on Christ. That is where we just naturally come back to. It's not just a, a white-knuckled grip. I'm, I think I can. I think I can. I'm going to make this happen. But this should become more and more our natural way of, of uh, looking at life. So just to close, what I want to do just real quick is, is to look at a picture of what, what does this maybe look like? What, if you were to write something, what would our hope be uh, of what our lives would look like? 
So to do this, last week, you might remember, we went through Psalm 77 and kind of took that apart and looked at, at the way that, that the psalmist so beautifully captures very real aspects of our lives. So today, I want to do the same thing. So I want to read through Psalm 27 without commentary, but I'm on the slide. I'm going to have them up here as we read Psalm 27, and I'll have just underlined certain, certain things here. And what I'd like you to do is you, as we read through it, just look for, do we see this theme? What do you see in the psalmist? And you're going to recognize he's in troubled circumstances. This is not that he's, he's found himself in a, in a bowl of cherries, but he is in some very tight spots here. But just look and look for the focus that the psalmist demonstrates in this. So let's just read this in closing. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though wars arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze, yes, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with, with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. <clears throat> o you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. My prayer would be that this more and more, that as we go through our lives and look back, that we would be able to reflect that same attitude as the psalmist here, that same confidence in the midst of trouble, that same hope, that same assurance that we can wait on the Lord, and that as we are gazing and focusing on Christ, that truly, as the, the words of the last two weeks, we closed with a song that we're not going to do today, but said, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do come to you as a body of believers here, desirous to, to hear the words uh, from Paul today about the things that, that you are telling us and allowing and enabling us to put on, Lord, to, uh, to see our lives lived out in this, in this community. I pray you would teach us to 
uh, to first recognize that, second to cherish that, and then, Lord, to just see that lived out in our lives as we uh, encourage each other and, and mutually uh, see others uh, just grow and, and lives deepen in Christ as we interact together. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and that you would uh, help us to, uh, to put these things into practice at the, and that there would be an effect on our lives and that we would look back and give you thanks for the progress that you've done. So as we go today, just pray that uh, our, our eyes would be focused on you and that our gaze would continually be lifted to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.